Okay, guys, we're in lesson eight today, and we started last week, we're talking about the judgment of the nation, so we're going to focus on Isaiah 17, verse 1, through Isaiah um, 21, verse 12. Then we're going to have a third part to these judgments, which we will look at next week. But we're going to focus on a few nations that you're aware of. And so if you look at your sheet, it's also up here on the screen, uh, you're going to notice that these nations have always been enemies of Israel and are there today, okay? The names have changed, but uh, primarily it's the same, same people, the same countries, the same nations. So Aram, or the Aramean kingdoms, the kingdom of Aram, or the is basically a series of city kingdoms in Syria. Okay, it's sometimes referred to as Syria. Damascus is its main capital city. And uh, so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk about Cush, which is right down here below Egypt. If I can, right there, Cush. Cush is also sometimes called in your Bibles Ethiopia but it's the area known as uh, Sudan and Ethiopia, okay? Sudan and Ethiopia. We're going to talk about Egypt, all right? We're going to talk about Egypt today. We're also going to talk about the desert by the sea. So that's this area right here, okay? Now, that would be, if you guys know, nations today like Kuwait, okay? Uh, also, the uh, other... Arabian nations that are there, UAE, where Dubai is, and so forth. Uh, those nations are right there. Of course, we know Arabia. That's what would be modern-day Saudi Arabia. And Babylon, of course, is in what's modern-day Iraq. Okay? So we're going to be looking at those nations today. Here's some ancient ones that you know from the scriptures, especially 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, Philistia, which are the Philistines, these go back all the way to, Je to Genesis, Moab, and Edom. Edom is Esau, which is the brother of, of Israel or Jacob, okay? Uh, Moab, okay? And Ammon, but Ammon is not listed there in our list that we're going to look at today. So we're going to talk about these nations. So what does that mean to you and I? So if you look at what's going on in the Middle East today, and the attitudes of the nations around Israel, is that just a recent thing? No, it goes back centuries, even before the time of Christ, okay? It goes back centuries, even before the time of Christ. So God has some specific judgments for them. He's, also, he's judging the northern kingdom because of their idolatry. We already talked about that. The northern kingdom were the ten tribes that the southern kingdom is the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. He's judging the northern kingdom for their idolatry. They're not serving the Lord. They're turned away from the Lord. But he's also going to judge these other nations as well. The instrument of that judgment is Assyria. But we're going to notice some things. So we're going to talk about uh, Damascus. We're going to talk about Cush. We're even going to talk about Babylon, okay? Egypt and Babylon. Let's go first look at all at Damascus. So that's Isaiah 17, verse 1 through 11. So the nation of Aram 
is represented by its capital city, Damascus. Okay? And it's basically a series of city kingdoms. Philistia was the same way, all right? Philistia was not just a geographical area, but it was the kingdoms within that area together being Philistia. Here we have Aramea or, or, or Aram and the Aramean kingdoms, which is also called Syria. Now here's the judgment against it. <clears throat> its cities will be reduced to ruins where the flocks of sheep will roam, okay? Basically, God is saying, you know, you're this big, proud kingdom, and it is a proud kingdom. So, for instance, I, uh, I like to play a certain game with my kids. It's a computer game. It's been around for a couple decades now called Age of the Empires, okay? And uh, for those of you who are older, like, you play computer games, George? Yes, I do, with my kids. And Age of the Empires is the game we play. And it's set with these Stone Age kingdoms that grow up. One of the kingdoms in there is Aram. And the Assyrians and the Babylonians and so forth, they're, they're all represented there because these are well-known kingdoms that exist. There are archaeological digs that are going, well, not right now in Syria with the war, but there were basically trying to find out more about this once dominant culture. Okay? But... God is saying to them, you're going to be reduced to ruins that the sheep are going to graze through. Yeah, we know that, right? Yeah, because they find these ruins in the middle of the desert, and what's around? Animals, sheep, grazing through there. All right, now let's go on. Its glory will be fading as the northern kingdom of Israel. So the glory of Aram... The glory of Damascus is going to fade just like the glory of the northern kingdom. So he's kind of paralleling here. He's saying, just like I'm bringing judgment on you, northern kingdom, your glory, Aram, your glory, Syria, is going to disappear. All right? So then it shifts to talk about the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel will fade, and only a remnant will remain as fruit in a harvested field. Okay, only a remnant will remain as fruit in a harvested field. Now, when it talks about as fruit in a harvested field, okay, so I want you to think about we have cornfields in our area, and uh, if you have been in a cornfield after the if after the equipment goes through and cuts it down and uh, gets all the corn out of there, you'll walk around and you'll still see a few kernels of corn everywhere, or maybe a cob of corn that didn't get that didn't get processed or so forth. That's what he's talking about. What's going to be left of Israel is just a few remaining people, okay? Just enough to restart, okay? Just enough to restart. That's the whole concept of a remnant here. I know that today in our Christian circles, if you listen on radio or something, we like to talk about remnant as being this spiritual group of people that God leaves behind. Well, yeah, maybe that's a modern concept. But that's not the Old Testament concept with Israel. The Old Testament concept with Israel is just leaving enough to start all over again. And that's not necessarily the best. Okay? It's not necessarily the best. Because the people who were a remnant who were taken to Babylon, you're going to see as you read through the prophets, 
they weren't in a good place either. They were starting to worship the gods of Babylon. But they were called the remnant. What, what does that mean? They were what's left after the judgment because God promised that they would not be wiped out. All right, so let's go on. So the glory of Israel is going to fade. The remnant will remain like the fruit in a harvested field. In the future, so God again is through the prophet is talking about the future here. Israel will turn away from its idols and turn back to God. In the future. Have we reached that point yet? No. No. It's interesting to me, if you look at those who are Jews today, that they're kind of broken up into the Orthodox Jews, those who hold to, 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 who are very Orthodox in their practice of Judaism and so forth. But you'll meet a lot of secular Jews. And with some of those secular Jews, they'll worship anything. And they do, except one thing. They don't worship who? Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? They'll worship anything. So there's still the whole idolatry issue going on to this day. But there is going to be in the future a reality in which they're going to turn back to God and turn away from their idols. And until that time, Israel will face judgment as its cities become desolate. Okay? So yeah, that's in the future, the prophet is saying. But until that time... Your cities are going to be desolate. Well, why? Because the Assyrians will come in and they'll haul what's left that they haven't killed away into exile. Okay? And there have been several exiles through the years. What do you mean several exiles through the years? Well, the Assyrians came in, took the northern kingdom, spread them out. Babylonians came in, took them back to Babylon. We know about that. That's where Daniel was. Okay? Those who came back to the land when Cyrus gave the proclamation for the Jews to return back to their land. We know that the, in A.D. 70, the J Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, but A.D. 135, most people don't consider that. That's another time when the Jews rose up against the Romans again. This time they were completely defeated, and the Romans spread them out throughout the entire known world. And they were never once again established as a nation where? In Israel today. Until when? 1948. Okay? 1948. There were Jews in Israel before 48, but not a nation. Do you understand? Not a nation. So that's Damascus. So let's talk about Cush or Ethiopia, Sudan, Ethiopia. Okay? Oh, wait a minute. One more point here. Damascus, because of their unfaithfulness, their efforts will be deemed as worthless as the judgment comes. So God's kind of saying to them, whatever efforts you're going to make to try to do things right, they're going to be worthless. Judgment is coming. You can't change it. Okay? So let's get to Cush. Looking at Isaiah 17, 12, verses 18 through 7. Isaiah compares the nations to a raging sea, yet they are nothing more than chaff. All right, let's stop for a moment. He's using an imagery here, all right? He's saying the nations are like a raging sea, but they're, not, but they're, not, they're nothing more than chaff. What's he saying?
okay, they're big and growing. Okay, that's good. That's a good starting point, Tim. Okay, you guys ever been at the ocean when a storm comes up? The winds, how do the waves look? Do they have the little trickly waves, you know? I mean, they're like, they're like you were on a ship or on a sub. You know what they, being in a big storm is, how big the waves get and so forth, okay? Now, that looks frightening, doesn't it? Okay, now to the ancients, the sea was often a picture of chaos, okay, that even God maybe couldn't control. And so here they are, they're saying the nations are like a raging sea, but they're nothing more than chaff. Now, you know what chaff is, right? Okay. Yeah, when you, when you, when you harvest grain and so forth and, you, and they'd fork it, you know, the grain drops, the chaff flows away. I liken it to, have you mowed the yard? And when the yard grass cuttings get really dry, do you know what I'm saying? They can, what, blow around? It's, that's kind of like chaff, okay? So, so here they are. They're looking really big. But what are they? Worthless. Blown away by the wind. Yeah, okay? What an illustration here about these kingdoms. Why is that it's so important? Because when you read through the narratives, the historical narratives, such as First, uh, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings. Cush is a mighty nation. Sometimes that comes up and confronts these other empires that are there, and even confronts Israel. And it seems like a mighty nation. But here's what God says: they're nothing but chaff. Now, why would He say that? Why would God say they're nothing but chaff? I mean, He would say that. Okay, so. Who are the mighty nations today? Who are the mighty nations today? You turn on the news, who's the mighty nations? Russia, U.S., China. God says, they're like a raging sea. But they're nothing more than chaff. Well, you won't say that we're... Yeah, we're nothing more than chaff. Why? To God. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? To the Lord... Yeah, it doesn't matter how big and powerful. You're nothing to God, okay? Nothing to God at all. So he compares the nations to a raging sea, yet they're nothing more than chaff. Okay, so let's continue on here. Next thing I want you to see here is this. Isaiah points out that those who would plunder will become nothing. So here he's talking about, he's talking to this army of Cush, and he's saying, those who would plunder are going to become nothing. Now, let me just stop for, for a moment. We live in a modern time, so therefore we have modern rules of engagement. Therefore, when, when armies go in and they maraud and they kill and maim and so forth, they're supposed to do it within the rules that have been established by nations. And when they don't do that, we call that what? War crimes, right? We hear that a lot being talked about today. But that's not the way it used to be. Well, it really hasn't ever been that way. Armies come in, maraud, and kill. Period. They plunder. They steal. And so here he's pronouncing judgment, saying, he points out that those who would plunder will become nothing. So you're big and mighty. You're coming in and you're plundering an area, robbing that people, whoever you're going against. You're not going to be anything. You're nothing. Okay? 
Isaiah proclaims woe on the nation that sends ambassadors to form alliances. He's probably talking here about Israel. Because here's what Israel was doing, the northern kingdom. Rather than trusting God, whenever a mighty army would appear, okay, in this case it would be the Assyrians, and you're, you're Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, you've got this big marauding army coming for you that is brutal and is known to be brutal. How are you going to face that? You got to form alliances, don't you? You got to you got to have somebody help you, right? Or 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 as God would say, you should have what trusted in Him. But they're not. They're wanting to form alliances with who? The Egyptians, Cush, okay, the Ethiopians, in hopes that they would send up an army to help them out. In fact. One of the things we're going to see is Ahaz, that's what Ahaz did. Rather than trust the Lord, that's, that's the southern king of the southern kingdom, Uzziah's son. Rather than trust the Lord, he was looking at other places to get military support rather than to the Lord. And, and so here the, the judgment is, is that woe on the nation that sends ambassadors to form alliances. Because again, remember, he just said, that these nations maybe are like raging seas, but they're nothing more than what? Chaff. Who's greater? God. God. God is greater. That, that's the picture that is being portrayed here. But they're turning away and looking to Cush, okay? Looking to these Ethiopians to come up and take care of them. Rather, they should go back to Cush and inform them to fear the true ruler of the world. He's telling the, he's telling the Jews, look, you need to send people back to Cush and tell them, hey guys, you guys need to fear the true ruler of the world. Who's the true ruler? God. Okay? God. Now, we know the sad thing is, is what? They didn't do that, did they? No, they put their allegiances... In men. So they should be on the alert for the banner and trumpet of God. The banner and trumpet of God. Be on the alert. Now, what does that mean, the banner and trumpet of God? Well, when armies move, they're not like today. If I'm going to move an army today or doing this right now in the war situations, stealth is the key thing. Do you understand what I mean by stealth? You want to you want to ease in there, catch them by surprise, and do what you got to do, right? When armies marched in in this time in the ancients, they marched under big banners and trumpets announcing that they were coming and wanting to meet them in open warfare. Here, the prophet is saying, "Look, be on the alert for what the banners and the trumpet of God." Be on the alert for God to show up and take care of this issue, take care of this problem, okay? Rather than being on the alert for these other nations that you're looking for. So, here's what we're going to see. There's a message from God here. Like the sun and dew, God is simply present 
and inescapable. Like the sun and dew, God is simply present and inescapable. All right, so every morning, I get up early in the morning. I get up before the sun gets up, but eventually what's going to, what's going to come up? Sun. Pretty soon here, not today, you know, because we got this onion snow out there. Uh, you know, it's not the onion snow, Gene? Okay, well, it's the snow. Easter is a little bit later this year. We could call it the Easter snow, but it's not Easter yet. So it's one of those freak snows that we have that remind us it's still March, okay? Yes, it's still March. Yes, that's true. Okay. All right. So, but let's say when it gets warmer, you get up in the morning, the grass is going to have what on it? Dew. Yeah. Okay. So just like the sun and the dew, God is ever-present. He's there. Now, why would he want to make that point? He's present and inescapable. Why would God want to make the point, just like the dew and the sun coming up, God is always there? Why would, he, why would the prophet want to bring that in? Because he's been talking about nations and, and trusting in God. They're nothing. Now he's saying, hey, I'm ever-present and inescapable. All right, Gene, so what are you thinking? So he's always there. Okay, now what's our problem, though? We don't believe it, or we haven't accepted it? How about we forget it? Okay. Okay. Now, here's another one. Do you guys really pay attention when the sun comes up in the morning? Okay. <laughs> well, you're a special person, Gene. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm up, but I'm not looking out the window. Like, when will it crack up over the over the ridge over there? Do you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I'm not doing that because I take it for granted. We take for granted the sun coming up, right? We take for granted the morning dew. We take all of that for granted. Do we have a tendency to take God for granted? Which then causes us to what? Forget God. So that when there is a big raging army coming against us, we want to form alliances to help us deal with the problem, right? Yeah, our, yeah the phone. Hey, I got a problem. Tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? One of 20 people we call that day, right? To get 20 different opinions. You know what I'm saying? And we keep calling because nobody's told us the opinion we want to hear. So, yeah, so like the sun and the dew, God is simply present and inescapable. Now, he will cut down the enemy nations like unproductive branches. So, some folks this year, this time of year, are pruning their trees. Hopefully they got it done by now, but they're pruning their trees. They're taking out the unproductive branches. God's going to cut down the nations like unproductive branches. Okay? He can do that. He can just simply go in and he takes care of them. Where should our trust be? Israel must take note that one day Cush will bring an offering to God. Okay, think about that. So 
Israel's got, the prophet is saying, Israel, listen, one day this nation you're trying to form alliances with, this nation that you're fearful of, that you're wanting to be on the right side of, one day that nation is going to be coming and bringing an offering to God. So when you think about that, what kind of perspective does that give you? What kind of perspective does that give you? That the nation they're trying to form an alliance with because they're afraid of the Assyrians, they're afraid of this big nation, you know what I'm saying, they want to be on the right side, they're sending ambassadors. God's saying, one day, I'm pointing out to you, one day that nation is going to come and give me an offering. We'll come and bring an offering to the Lord. What kind of perspective does that give you? Okay, that's, that's good, Tim. All right. All right, let me, let me liken it this way, okay? Let's say, all right, I'm going to use, do you mind if I use you, John? Okay, all right, I'm going to use John here. All right, let's say I'm the bully, okay? And I'm intimidating to John, all right? I intimidate him, but there's a bigger bully just around the block, even bigger than me, all right? John's more scared of that bully than he is of me, but he's worried about me, all right? So what does John do? He tries to form an alliance with the one bully he's intimidated by to take care of the even bigger bully, all right? Now, God says, why are you doing that? Why are you making allegiance, John, with George? Don't you know that one day George is going to come and make an offering to me? What kind of perspective does that give you then? Now do you understand? Do you, you said, wow, Tim. Well, he's even bigger than all of the bullies, right? Yeah, come to me because one day they're going to come. When you talk about making an offering, you're talking about going and honoring. You know what I'm saying? Honoring the one who is in Jerusalem, the Messiah who sits. What we're talking about is in the future, the nations are going to come and make an offering to King Jesus. In fact, it's going to be pointed out as we get further into the prophecy that those nations, nations who don't show up, guess what happens? They suffer from drought that year. Now, that would be a significant thing when they're agriculturally based kingdoms, right? You don't have a drought. You can't have what? Food. God punishes them. So the point is, why are you making an allegiance and worried about Cush? Because one day Cush is going to come and bow down to me. John, why are you worried about Big Bully around the corner or, or George when those guys are going to come and bring an offering and worship me, submit to me. You should be trusting in who, John? God, right? This is the point that's being made. You look like you had something on your mind. Yes, it's an acknowledgement. Yes, yeah. 
It's an acknowledgement. It still happens to this day. I mean, you guys know that you read all the time. Somebody comes and visits the president or the president goes somewhere and they give the president a typically a gift, right? Now, he doesn't take it home and show his dog and his family or whoever. He doesn't take it when he leaves office. It ends up going. They have a storage place for those gifts. It, it doesn't belong to the president. It belongs to the people of the United States of America. And so they keep those gifts, catalog them at somewhere. Do you know what I'm saying? And it still happens today. Why? It's a tribute. It's, it's an acknowledgement. It's still happening today. He's, he's making the point here that you need to take note, Israel. One day, Cush is going to acknowledge me. They're going to bring me tribute. They're going to bring an offering to God. All right, so let's go. We're going to get to chapter 19, verse 1, through chapter 20, verse 6. Egypt, okay? Egypt. Egypt should fear the Lord who is coming in judgment. Now, Egypt at this time, like Cush, was another world power. Okay? They were a world power. And, but the prophet is saying, hey, you need to fear the Lord because I'm coming in judgment. Their idols and practices are helpless before the living God. Okay? Their idols and practices are helpless before the living God. All right, let me just stop for a moment. I think this is a good place to make this point because sometimes I'll meet Christians and they get really freaked out by black magic. They get really freaked out by darkness and dark things that happen in our society or curses or all of those things. I'm going to tell you right now who lives within you? In the person of who? The Holy Spirit. Do you really need to be afraid of these things? No. Look, I've talked to pastors in communities where this thing is real around the world. And I once even asked one of them, do you ever have a problem? He said, no, it doesn't bother. We're Christians. It has no effect on us. Unbelievers is a different story. But for us as believers, there's no power. So don't be freaked out by it. Greater is he who is within you than he who is in the what? The world. Okay? Here, the prophet is saying, all your practices, all these gods, Ra, and all these god Isis, and all these things that you're worshiping, and all these that you're doing, they're meaningless. They have no power against God. Okay? It is foolish for the nation to trust in the river that will one day dry up. Egypt, throughout the centuries, trusts in what? The river. What river? The Nile. You know prophecy says that in those last days, it's going to dry up? It's going to dry up. Hey, hey, by the way, you know we're getting towards that time? How do we know that? The Ethiopians just built this huge dam on the Blue Nile. The White Nile and the Blue Nile come together to form the Nile. Right now, it is a major politic, geopolitical issue in that area of the world because the Egyptians are upset and the Sudanese are upset because they're afraid that somebody's going to shut off the Nile. It's a big enough dam to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? Just pay attention to the news. And when you look at that, you're like, yeah. Yeah. 
God is bigger, isn't he? And he's moving things. And one day it may dry up. Yeah, the river will dry up. Yep, foolish for a nation. All of Egypt's wisdom will be useless in the face of God's plan and purpose. All of their wisdom will be useless. Now, isn't that true? Not just here in the prophecy. We see that in other portions of the scripture. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools, Paul says. The reality is all this human wisdom is foolishness when you think about God and his plan and what he wants to do and how he operates. Okay, so let's go on here. Let me see. In the future... Egypt will be afraid because of God and Judah. In the future, it's going to come a day when Egypt will be afraid. We're not at that point right now. Okay? Yes, they've had battles, 1968 and so forth, but that's not, a, not an issue. Let's go on. The cities of, of Egypt will speak Hebrew and swear allegiance to the Lord. That's in the future. They'll speak Hebrew. Why? Because things will change when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes. All right. The Lord will be worshipped in Egypt. Again, that's future. Okay? That's future. God is going to join... Assyria, Egypt, and Israel together in the worship of the Lord. He's going to take those nations. Remember all those nations I told you? There's the animosity that exists there even to this day. He's going to take those nations and join them together so that they will worship the Lord. Is that yet future? Yeah. He's predicting something that will happen in the future. Under who? Jesus. God spoke to Isaiah when Ashdod was taken was taken by the commander, should be by the commander of the Assyrian army. So this prophecy with Egypt happened when Ashdod, which is one of the cities of Philistia, was taken by the commander of the Assyrians. So the Assyrian army is happening. This is taking place. He's kind of given us a time reference here. Okay. Let's go on here. Still talking about Egypt. God told Isaiah to walk about naked and barefooted for three years. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to do whatever God tells you to do? Are you willing to do whatever God tells you to do? Well, we would typically do that, right? We, it's the spiritual answer. Yes, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, God. God tells this prophet, I want you to walk around naked for three years. And barefoot, yes. Yeah, yeah. Why? God is wanting to illustrate something, okay? It was a sign of how the Egyptians and Ethiopians will be led away to captivity. Isaiah was to do that. Why? To be a visible representation of what will happen when the Assyrians come and defeat Egypt and defeat Cush, take the Ethiopians and the Egyptians away and exile them. They're going to be walking away stark naked, 
that is, they will have nothing and they will not even have shoes on their feet in the desert. Do you understand? It's a picture. It's a picture. So the people will realize that the help they expected is gone and there is no other help. So they expected help from these two other bullies, right? They expected help from Egypt. They expected help from Cush. But they're going to be defeated and carried away into exile. There is not going to be any help. Judgment is coming. All right, so the desert by the sea. Those would be the Gulf nations today. The desert by the sea refers to the area near Babylon known as the Persian Gulf today. Okay? Isaiah sees an invasion of the desert by the sea like a desert storm. Okay? Now, let me just stop. That is not with reference to the first Persian Gulf War desert storm. Okay? This is not a reference to that. He sees an invasion of the nation. Who? The Assyrians. They're going to come and defeat. Let's go on. Isaiah sees an uprising in Babylon as it rises against the Assyrians. So Babylon is going to be rising up. Rather than eating at a feast, they should be preparing for war. He's talking to the Jews. Hey, rather than sitting around eating at a festival or eating at a feast, you guys should be preparing for war. Why? Because the Babylonians are getting bigger. Right now, the Babylonians are not the concern. They're concerned about who? Assyria. But he's talking about Babylon. Rather, okay, so the Lord tells Isaiah to set a watchman and listen for the report that Babylon has fallen to the, to the Assyrians. Listen to the report. Set a watchman. Listen and wait for the report to come that Babylon has fallen. But Judah feels crushed like grain on a threshing floor. There, there's no one for them. They're going to be alone. They're going to feel crushed. And so Isaiah proclaims that he is starting what he is stating what he heard from the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah says, look, I'm only telling you what God says. Now, let's get to the one sentence, one verse, a few verses here, verses 11 and 12, and ending about Edom, okay, or Esau. Isaiah proclaims that the long for dawn yields only the night of destruction. So Edom, that long for uh, dawn that you're wanting, of everything going well, it's only going to yield to what? Destruction. It's coming. It's coming. Okay, so that brings us to the end of Lesson 8, looking at these nations.